You're tuning in to the Welcome to Motherhood podcast, the series that helps to make motherhood easier, one podcast at a time. I'm your host, Natasha Suttle, mum of four, midwife, educator, terrible housewife, and huge advocate for ditching the mum guilt. Find advice for all your motherhood questions from birth onwards. So here we go, let's get into it. Today I am interviewing the amazing Jada Glover. Jada is a certified lactation counsellor. She's also the founder of Lactation Mamas, which provides internet support and education for mums both before they have their babies and afterwards. She is the mum herself of one gorgeous little boy, and she also provides amazing support and education, not only around breastfeeding, but also nutrition for mums worldwide. This is going to be fantastic. We've got so much to talk about. Firstly, welcome Jada, and thank you so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, I can't wait. When I was thinking of things I wanted to ask you, my mind was racing because <laughs> especially the nutrition and breastfeeding thing, always a hot topic. And for me as a midwife, I hear the questions all the time. So I've kind of knuckled down the top five things I want to ask you, but I'm sure I'll have to get you back on again because there'll be more questions. So first things first, when it comes to breastfeeding and new mums, there's always loads of questions around nutrition and breastfeeding. What is basically the general advice that you give new mums that you work with around nutrition and breastfeeding? Sure. So a mom's breast milk is going to be the best nutrition that she can give her baby, no matter what she eats. So even if her diet is poor or lacks nutrients, it's still the absolute best. But with that said, proper nutrition has so many amazing benefits, like healing faster postpartum, better able to take care of her and play with her baby and take care of her baby, more energy and less exhaustion in those postpartum days, improved mood, better sleep, less craving. So all of these things really play into the types of foods that she's eating and her postpartum experience. So that includes breastfeeding while um, she's in that stage as well. So In general, a lactogenic diet is a diet rich in many nutrients that supports healthy milk production in general. It's definitely something that I like to think of as adding nutrients to a mom's diet versus trying to remove anything in that particular phase. And, you know, no crash dieting because that's just going to kind of inhibit that positive milk production and establishing that milk supply, especially in those first three months. So whole foods in general is what I really strongly suggest to breastfeeding moms, especially in those first three months, because they can really help boost a mom's milk supply with lots of key nutrients like vitamin D, vitamin K, vitamin A, B vitamins, fatty acids, choline, amino acids, all of these amazing nutrients, um, thyroid, thyroid nutrients or you know nutrients that our thyroid relies on like iodine, selenium, lots of phytonutrients for antioxidants and anti-inflammatory benefits and of course probiotics and all of these actually can be passed on to the baby. So that's an important point as well. So if a mom eats foods rich in these key nutrients, their baby will get a boost from these nutrients in the milk. So I like to think about a nutrient-dense diet in these days in particular. And I'll just point out too that nutrients that aren't as reliant on the mother's diet include calcium, iron, zinc, copper, and folate. In these cases, the mother's maternal stores are really going to come into play in this 
particular in these instances. And if she's not getting enough of these nutrients through the food that she's eating, then certainly her maternal stores will come into play here. It's amazing. It often comes down to, I like what you mentioned before, like often whole foods and just eating a good general diet. And I mean, we tell people this in life in general, you know, to make them feel better. And you always feel better when you eat better and your body functions better when you eat better. And I think that people often forget that or think there's supposed to be more to it once you're breastfeeding, that you're supposed to do something different to that to make, you know, breastfeeding successful. When if you kind of take it back to the basics of nutrition and eating a good, healthy diet, your body's going to do what it needs to do because it's functioning, you know, functioning better and functioning as it should. So no, I love that. I love it. There is always question. I mean, people always ask. Another thing I always ask is with regards to, are there any foods that we like as a mom, they'll ask, are there any foods that they actually should avoid? And I always get asked this. So, and you must absolutely too. So when it comes to people asking specifically about avoiding foods and breastfeeding, what advice do you give people with that? So I would say that it's definitely dependent on mother and baby, but generally speaking, no foods need to be avoided unless the baby is showing or experiencing allergic reaction type symptoms. So like maybe diarrhea with bloody poops, or maybe they're just excessively fussy or irritable or really gassy with no sort of relief. And I would then suggest that a mom start keeping a food journal on this in these instances to understand what may be causing those reactions in herself and or her baby. And this will help her eliminate whatever it may be that's causing those issues. And if there's any sort of history of food sensitivities or allergies in the family, then she may want to avoid that particular food that someone's allergic to until the baby's six months old. And at that point, the baby's digestive system is a little more mature and may be able to better tolerate it. Or she could test the food as well by introducing solid foods when the baby's ready. So avoiding foods though altogether with no exposure could lead to allergies later on in the baby. So it's best to only avoid if absolutely necessary. And some of the common food allergens that we see are wheat and gluten, cow's milk, soy, corn, nuts, and yeast. And again, if a baby is colicky or overly fussy, avoiding dairy, caffeine, and some of the cruciferous vegetables could minimize those effects on the baby as well. And it's very baby dependent, and it's best to use those motherly instincts to really kind of drill down to figure out what may be causing those reactions in the baby and kind of go from there. I totally love that too, because it's exactly right. It's by avoiding it from the start, you never know if it's going to cause an issue or not. It's exactly like you said, only avoid things if there seems to be an issue or, you know, if there's any reason and, you know, anything in the family that might be an issue, because otherwise you just never know. And people spend their whole life being paranoid about avoiding different foods because they're breastfeeding when really it's probably going to be absolutely no issue. So you can carry on much more simply with your life if you try and keep things simple and just eat as you normally would of. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think simple is best. (laughs) Well, we've got enough to worry about often. It's a case that I think mums, we get so overwhelmed with trying to do everything so perfectly and correctly and right for our babies and right for ourselves. We often overthink things that some of the things we could just strip back to simple and it would be okay. So no, I love this um, nutrition advice. This is so awesome. What are the key things that you recommend that mums do eat or drink when they actually do genuinely need to boost their milk supply? So when there is an issue and they're trying to boost their supply, what are the key things you recommend? 
Sure. So I will say that no food or drink is going to ever help some sort of other underlying issues with low milk supply. So it's always best to work with a lactation consultant or counselor to kind of figure out what the root cause is. But in some instances, certainly lactogenic foods can be beneficial as well as herbs. And I will kind of go back to what we talked about earlier with regards to eating a nutrient-dense diet with lots of variety of fruits and vegetables, whole grains and flours, the less processed, the better. So oats, for instance, are a great example of a lactogenic food. And most of these are everyday foods that you can cook and enjoy with your family. So you don't necessarily need to go on any sort of special diet. Just try to include more of these particular foods in your diet and in your meal planning efforts, and they can go a long way. So eggs and... That's making it simple like we talked about before. (laughs) Keep it simple and include it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just wanted to mention a few additional, um, you know, foods that are shown to have lactogenic effects in some women. So eggs and dairy. So you want to stick to the full fat yogurt, for instance, low or no sugar if possible. Some babies actually have a reaction to processed sugar. So the white bleached sugar is um, not beneficial for babies. So the least processed, the better, like I mentioned, and whole milk, butter, cream, beans. If you're using fats and sweeteners, try to stick to you know coconut oil, olive oil, sesame oil is really good, um, grass-fed butter, coconut sugar, dates. So some of the more natural sweeteners if if you need to use them. And then of course, protein, try to just get it, you know, your meats and your wild caught fish that are pasture raised, organically raised, because that has the least amount of chemicals and additional additives to the protein sources. Awesome. I love it. And those are some good, um, some good tips and feedback on things that actually might really help too, if you need it. So I love that. People will be probably jotting these down frantically while mm-hmm. they're listening. When mums come to you, what do you find um, worries new mums the most about breastfeeding in general? So many moms have a fear of not producing enough milk for their baby. And I think a lot of it stems from just not knowing what to look for in terms of a healthy, thriving baby. And it's so common too, and it's so unfortunate because I don't feel like there's enough education for moms prior to them even giving birth. And It's great that you're a midwife and can help educate them or at least point them in the right direction, if nothing else, because I think so much of the worries that new moms have is just because they don't have the right knowledge or they don't have enough knowledge in breastfeeding and they don't have the confidence. And both of those things I feel like can really be instilled before even their baby arrives. So in terms of low milk supply, Oftentimes this stems because they're just not sure how often their baby should be eating. And I think new moms don't know that babies eat a lot. And so, you know, eight to 12 times in a 24 hour period, we like to say in nursing on demand. And if all of a sudden, you know, their breasts don't feel engorged, they may feel like, oh no, my supply dropped, which probably isn't the case. It's just that they're breastfeeding often like they should be. And the baby is, you know, starting to regulate their milk supply. And maybe all of a sudden they don't feel a milk let down. And so, you know, lots of these little things that we can start questioning our breastfeeding journey and that relationship with our baby. And I would just encourage moms to, of course, self-educate themselves so that they know what to expect before their baby comes and know what a successful breastfeeding relationship looks like. 
and have confidence, have confidence in yourself and have confidence in your baby. And that'll really help during some of those hard days and knowing that you can get through it and see to the next day and you'll have a satisfied baby. And of course, always work with your uh, pediatrician. I encourage moms to work with their lactation specialist and pediatrician to make sure they have a satisfied baby, the baby's getting weight appropriately, and you know, of course, adequate poops and peas in their diapers too. Well, and that's always a that's always a good and easy way too of being able to tell that baby's getting lots because I always say if they if they've got wet nappies, they you know they're passing it through. It's coming in one end and yeah. coming out the other. So it's exactly. always an easy sign. You don't need any kind of medical knowledge to be able to spot right. when your baby's weeing and pooing. So yeah. I love it. So again, keeping it simple. So. Yeah. You would get lots of questions around this. The last question I'm going to ask you, I'm kind of sure. giggling because I'm sure you probably hear it all the time. And mums often want to know when they need to start solids. I have people question me that their four-week-old baby is opening its mouth. So does that mean it's hungry? Or it's looking at food. Does that mean it's hungry? Or should they feed it? Or because it's on the bigger scale. And I am constantly giving advice with regards to starting solids. So I was just going to want from your opinion and the questions you get from mums you work with, what advice do you generally give your new mums with regards to when it's a good time to start solids? Sure. So the latest research I've seen on this is your baby needs to be at least six months old and of course showing additional signs of readiness. And I sometimes cringe at you know, when babies are eating food at four months because their digestive systems just aren't mature enough at that point to handle food well. So, I mean, you know, they may be able to eat it, but handling it well and not having situations where they're fussy and not able to digest it. So, they should be sitting up interested in you eating. So they should be engaging while you're eating, maybe even grabbing for your utensil or your food that you're eating. And then at that point, of course, you'll want to work together with your pediatrician. And most pediatricians I think now are saying six months, but there's still some that are saying four months. And so I would encourage moms to at least wait until six months because breast milk is all they need until six months of age. And then it's still their primary source of nutrition through one year of age. So at six months, uh, moms can start offering their babies small portions and a size and shape that their baby can easily pick up with their thumb and pointer finger. And then, you know, always cut or cut in half or quarter the small fruits like grapes and blueberries, and then offer different foods too, so that they are exposed to a variety and can experiment with those different tastes and textures and a lot of times, um, babies, if they're not exposed to different textures, you know, a few months later, when they are starting to eat more, they just may not be interested because they haven't felt or tasted that particular flavor before. So I'll also say they may not like one food one day and then they may like it the next day. So <laughs> um, the key, I think, is constant exposure, though. So keeping them exposed to the variety of foods, tastes, textures, like I mentioned, and Always remember though, before one, I love the little saying, um, food before one is just for fun. And so nurse or offer a bottle of breast milk first and then offer solids after that. And then after their one-year-old breast milk comes after offering them solid foods. And all babies are different in terms of when they get interested in solid foods. And if you're concerned that they aren't interested and maybe they should be by a particular stage, then just chat with your pediatrician about it. 
I'll just share a personal story. Our son was a late bloomer in this regard, and he's almost two now and eats well. But when he was six months, he really didn't show much interest in in what we're eating, and he still loves mama's milk to this day. So he was just a late bloomer, though, and he eventually caught on, and, and he's eating fine. But I was concerned, you know, as a first-time mom, so yeah, it happens. It's funny you mentioned that. My third daughter, she was my biggest baby. You know, she was over nine pounds. She was always this big, chunky baby, and she had very minimal interest in food. And I think I tried to get, you know, babyly weaning and giving her things to eat. And sometimes all she would, you know, nine, 10 months old, all she would actually consume might be a cracker. And then she would have milk and she had no interest, but people would always say to me, oh, she's a big girl. Oh, she must <laughs> love her food. And I would always say things like, oh, actually she's had one cracker today and that's all she's been interested in. But she's still, she's always been my biggest, tallest, most solid child, has no issues yeah. with food now. There was <laughs> never any allergies or any issues, but it's just interesting how some just aren't interested. She genuinely had not much interest in eating. She would do other things, and but it just happens. One day they decide they like food and then you can't stop them. But you're exactly right. Some of them just take longer. And I think being my third, I wasn't too worried. But in saying that if she was a skinny little child, I probably would have been worried. I think it was because I knew she had so much stores because she was always so big. It probably made me worry a little bit less. But no, she got there. She turned around and eats her food like crazy. Now she's five. But um, <laughs> oh, it's, it is interesting how yeah, every child's different. And some kids just don't have the same interest as early as others do as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could ask you so many more questions about nutrition and breastfeeding. But we would be here all day. So I'm going to wrap it up. But as I do with all the guests I have on my show, I'm always really interested to hear as when it comes to motherhood journey, what are your top three tips for navigating this crazy motherhood journey we're on? Yeah. So number one is nourish yourself properly. And we talked a lot about nutrition here, but that also includes practicing self-love, encouraging a healthy mindset, maybe doing affirmations, you know, focus on whatever your love language is and how you like receiving love for yourself and do that too. And Proper nourishment just all around is so important for the fastest recovery possible in that postpartum period. So that's number one. Number two is find time to connect with your partner because oftentimes, especially as breastfeeding mothers, we or they rather may feel left out in that journey and experience, but at the same time, they can be your biggest help. So tell them and show them how much you appreciate them by even just spending a few minutes with them a day to be able to connect and ask them for help. Sometimes they just don't know what to do, our partners. So if you can maybe give them a list of things to do or specific things for them to do, they're much more eager to help because they know how and they won't feel helpless and they'll feel engaged at that point. And then number three is trust your motherly instincts. And if you think something is wrong, reach out for help or talk to someone that can offer you wisdom that's been there maybe. And don't be afraid to get support in your postpartum journey and experience because whatever you're thinking, your gut is probably right in whatever situation that may be. So trust your baby and your body in the process and you'll receive so much advice, (laughs) both unsolicited (laughs) and solicited. So find what works best for you and do it. (laughs) I love those three, but I have to say my favorite one, I'm like, I've got to say my favorite one. My favorite one's definitely the partner one. I think that people miss that. And dads often feel very helpless because they don't know what to do, especially first time dads who 
they're also nervous about this whole, this baby, it's tiny. What do I do? Am I going to break it? And actually, like right. you mentioned, giving them a list or giving them set things that they can do to help you would absolutely take away a lot of that feeling of helplessness and uselessness. And also mm-hmm. the feeling of frustration potentially between a new mum who just wishes the dad would go and do the washing or go and bath the baby, but without verbalizing it, the dad then on the other hand has no idea what mum wishes they were doing so it can create tension so I love that you've said that I don't think anyone else to be honest I've interviewed has talked about partners in their top three tips so I really love that and I think people will kind of just stop and think and hopefully take that on especially so that's that's my favorite one. <laughs> oh, good yeah it's so important and yeah to make just, sure everyone's communicating and everyone's needs are still being met it can be tough but well, definitely communication's key because often I think as a first time new mum Sometimes people get overwhelmed with the fact that they're doing it for the first time, but you actually have to stop and think, dad often is too. And this is dad's, even if it's not his first baby, it's his first experience with this baby. So it's still still a new path to navigate for both parents. So I absolutely hope people listen into that one. Oh, thank you so much today for joining me and chatting with you has been super informative and I'm sure lots of people listening would have taken a lot from it. So I need you, Jada, to let people know where would they find you online to follow your work and get more info on you? Sure. Yeah. I'm so happy that I could join you tonight or today rather, Natasha. So you can find me at lactationmamas.com and mamas is spelled M-A-M-A-S. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, same lactation mamas. And I also have a Facebook group where I provide support too for breastfeeding moms. So that's uh, the lactation mamas community. That is so awesome. And I think there'll be people tapping away at their keyboards, trying to find (laughs) you and add you and follow your journey. And just, it's so awesome just to see, you know, things that you post and just taking little tips and mums often can't take a lot on their brain is sleep deprived and hormonal and they can't take a whole lot on, but little tips by following people on Facebook and looking at websites and listening to podcasts is the way that they're going to just start retaining little tips and putting them aside just so they've got them there for later. So definitely jump on and follow Jada and see what she's doing and what she's recommending and get some uh, little words of wisdom. So thank you so much again for joining me. It has been awesome. Um, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to us have a little bit of a chat today. And for those of you listening, don't forget to jump online and leave a review and also share this episode and share the link to the episode on Instagram with any mums that you think might get some insight from it and might be able to take some advice and some tips to make their motherhood journey a little bit easier. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Welcome to Motherhood podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when each new episode hits the airwaves. I hope you enjoyed it and can walk away with a few key take-home messages to help you make your motherhood journey that little bit easier. See you next time.